What's up everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Da Vinci Cases. Alright, so the way this works is we've got a clinical case followed by a board style question. So we're going to go through the question stem, point out the relevant clinical findings, take a look at the question and the answer choices, and then kind of divert for a minute and go through the relevant concepts to answering the question. Then we'll come back and apply those concepts that we went over to answering the question. Alright everybody, so this is the start of a new organ system for us at DaVinci Cases. Uh, this will be the gastrointestinal or the GI tract. And this first case we have for you is an anatomy case. And believe it or not, GI anatomy is actually pretty high yield for the USMLE. You can definitely see a lot of those questions kind of sneak their way in. So this is definitely something you don't want to overlook in your studies. So for this case, we have a 57-year-old man, and he is brought to the emergency room for severe diffuse abdominal pain. Diffuse meaning that it's all over, so it's not localized to one particular quadrant. And then he also is coming in with hematemesis, so he's vomiting blood. And both of these began suddenly one hour ago. So this isn't something that's been, you know, progressing over time or anything. This is something that just started, and it's uh, pretty significant. Whenever someone's throwing up blood, you definitely want to be concerned for a GI bleed, and we'll kind of go over some of the causes of that. Uh, so that's one of the things. And especially just when you're uh, treating them, you want to get the vitals. So here, his vitals are... 37 degrees Celsius, heart rate is 107. So he's afebrile, but he's tachycardic. And then his blood pressure is 80 over 54. So he's pretty hypotensive. This is definitely concerning. You definitely want to try and get this guy some fluids. I have a feeling he's probably going to have a GI bleed, so you probably want to get him some blood products too, but we'll keep reading to confirm that. This tachycardia is likely a reflex tachycardia. So whenever you're hypotensive, your heart responds to you know maintain cardiac output by increasing heart rate. Respiration is 18, O2 sat is 98%, so he's still breathing okay. At least his respiratory status is, is stable. Physical exam is only notable for diffuse abdominal tenderness. So that just confirms what the patient is complaining of. It doesn't localize to one particular area. You could definitely see diffuse abdominal tenderness with a GI bleed. You could see it with a uh, intestinal bleed. You could see it with a retroperitoneal bleed. So it's not. this doesn't help us too much at this point right now. So you get some imaging, some quick imaging in the ER, you get an abdominal x-ray. This reveals no abnormalities. Now, abdominal x-rays are somewhat limited in their ability. Definitely a CT is much more valuable, but it can tell you a couple quick things. One, it can quickly tell you if there's uh, air uh, in, the, in the abdominal cavity. Just because you don't see it on x-ray, though, doesn't mean it's not there. Um, the best way to find that out is a CT, but it can be a way if you know there's a large amount of air, you can uh, definitely see that easily on an abdominal x-ray. The other thing is it will also show dilated loops of, of either small or large bowel, which could indicate a bowel obstruction, which certainly someone could have with severe diffuse abdominal pain. The thing is I'm, I'm less likely to think that this is a bowel obstruction just because usually those patients don't present with hematemesis. So you get some labs. They're notable for hypokalemia. His potassium is 2.8. Normal is 3.5 to 5.2. So when someone's vomiting a significant amount of volume, they develop hypokalemia as a result of that. And then his hemoglobin is 6 grams per deciliter, which normal for an adult male is 13.5 to 16.5. So as I suspected, this guy's pretty anemic. He is likely having an uh, internal hemorrhage. Uh, so you definitely, in addition to getting this guy some fluids, got to get this guy uh, some blood products, get him a transfusion. His past medical history is notable for hypertension, a gastric ulcer along the lesser curvature. So just briefly, the anatomy, you have the esophagus that'll come down like this. And then you have 
kind of the fundus here and then the greater curvature like this and then you have the lesser curvature here and then it kind of comes in here and then eventually goes into the duodenum and then you have the greater curvature here so this is where the ulcer is it's somewhere along here along the lesser curvature and then he has chronic low back pain so he reports partial compliance with his medications um, that include amlodipine for his blood pressure and omeprazole, which is a proton pump inhibitor. So whenever someone in a question, usually you always assume they're compliant unless the question states otherwise. So they report partial compliance. That means he's not good about taking his medications. So the fact that he has an ulcer and he's not good about taking his proton pump inhibitor, this is something that they like to ask about a lot is that that ulcer can actually erode through the stomach wall or the gastric wall and then invade into one of these many vessels, usually a branch of the celiac trunk, and cause a significant abdominal hemorrhage. Uh, so that's something you always want to be uh, considering. Patient also states that he's been taking ibuprofen, so an NSAID, for two to three times per day for the past month for his back pain. So this guy has chronic low back pain and he's taking a lot of NSAIDs. Remember, NSAIDs also increase the uh, risk of developing and worsening gastric ulcers. So if this guy has an ulcer, he's not good about taking his meds, his uh, proton pump inhibitor, and then he's also taking a ton of NSAIDs. This guy's definitely at risk for an ulcer getting worse and actually eroding through the wall and into one of the surrounding vessels. So the question is asking, which of the following blood vessels is the most likely source of this patient's hemorrhage? So we summarize the key findings. This is a middle-aged man presenting with acute severe abdominal pain and hematemesis. He's tachycardic and significantly hypotensive. He has diffuse abdominal pain confirmed on exam. He has a negative abdominal x-ray, which lowers the suspicion for bowel obstruction but, and also bowel perforation because we don't see any air. Remember, if you see air, usually that's uh, a bowel perforation. You can also see that if patients have recently had uh, abdominal surgery, you can see air, and that's actually normal after surgery. Uh, either way, his labs are also notable for hypokalemia and significant anemia. He has reports partial compliance with his proton inhibitor for his gastric ulcer disease. He has significant recent NSAID use for his chronic low back pain. So overall, this patient is at risk for complications of his gastric ulcer. And so the assumption here is that the gastric ulcer has eroded into a nearby vessel, causing a significant acute hemorrhage. So this question is really getting at which artery or which branch of the celiac trunk is most likely to be affected by this patient's gastric ulcer. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break from the case right now to let you know that DaVinci Cases is brought to you by DaVinci Academy which provides online video courses for the medical basic sciences. These courses are taught using a variety of teaching methods, including bullet point outlines, diagrams, radiology images, and chalk talks to explain the fundamental concepts. We then teach the application of those concepts to numerous clinical pearls that are frequently tested on medical school exams and the USMLE. Our video courses are available on our website, dviacademy.com, as monthly subscriptions starting at $9.99 per month. Each video course has a corresponding outline format textbook as well. You can find the link to our website in the description below. Also be sure to use the discount code DC20 to receive 20% off any of our video courses. Now back to the case. Which vessel is most likely to be affected by a gastric ulcer on the lesser curvature? We got to review the anatomy here. And again, this celiac trunk anatomy, this is really high yield, both for anatomy exams and then also, uh, you know, if you're taking a board exam, definitely high, high yield for that as well. So first you got the aorta here, comes down. Uh, as you can see, it's coming through the hi hiatus in the diaphragm there. And then as, just as it comes down through into the abdominal cavity, it gives off the celiac trunk, which has three main branches. 
So you have the left gastric artery, the splenic artery, and the common hepatic artery. That's actually a common PIMP question. Like if in the, you're in the OR, you know, on a surgery rotation, uh, if on interventional radiology rotation, if they're doing an angiogram or vascular surgery, if they're doing an angiogram of the celiac trunk, you definitely could get asked that. Uh, I've certainly been asked that uh, before. To the left gastric artery, you can see it coming off here, and then it actually swings out here and gives branches all along the lesser curvature here, and then it also uh, provides uh, to the more proximal portion here. It provides a lot of the blood supply here, and then you have the splenic artery, which comes off. So the splenic artery uh, comes off and travels kind of posterior to the stomach and then comes out here to the spleen, as you can see here. Common hepatic is the, is the third branch here of the celiac trunk, and so it comes off here, and it's kind of in the name, as you can Imagine it's going off to give branches to the liver, which you can see here is kind of retracted in this diagram. So the esophageal artery, as we show here, this comes off the left gastric artery, and this kind of goes up and supplies uh, this GE junction and parts of the, the lower portion or inferior portions of the esophagus. So you have the right gastric artery, which anastomoses with the left gastric artery, and we've indicated that here with this star here and this red star here. The right gastric artery usually comes off of the either the proper hepatic or the common hepatic artery, as you see here, here's the common hepatic artery traveling in here. And then as I said, it gives the proper hepatic. So this right gastric will come off one of those. And the key is that it forms an anastomosis and, get, and provides a nice rich blood supply all along the lesser curvature here. You know, you can probably guess the answer already here is that if you have an ulcer along this lesser curvature, it's probably going to invade into this left gastric artery, as you can see here, branches of that left gastric artery. So just for completeness sake, we'll go through the rest of these vessels. The gastroduodenal artery also usually comes off either the proper hepatic artery or the common hepatic, as you can see here, it comes off just after, just distal to the right gastric artery origin. Comes in here and then it kind of travels posterior to the pylorus and the, and the duodenum. We'll show you a better image of this on the next one. And then it comes out here and it actually terminates into two arteries, the superior pancreaticoduodenal artery and then the right gastroploic artery. So you can see the right gastroploic artery, which is considered to be, you know, continuous with or uh, anastomosing with the gastroduodenal. And then the gastroploic artery comes along here and provides a nice rich blood supply to the greater curvature of the stomach. Then that anastomosis, indicated by the three stars and the three stars here, with the left gastroploic artery, which actually comes off the splenic artery, and we'll show you that on the next slide where we show a, a different view of this. And so the left gastroploic comes off of the splenic artery just posterior to the stomach and then comes out here and again kind of completes that anastomosis and rich blood supply for the greater curvature of the stomach. So this is just a posterior view. This is literally like if you grabbed the stomach down here and pulled it up. So this is actually the posterior portion of the stomach. This is what would have been facing here uh, in the previous diagram. And so you can see that here, here's the pancreas here, which would be just posterior to the stomach. Here's the duodenum here, which is traveling in here. And then here's the spleen right here. So we have the aorta coming in again. We have the celiac trunk, which you can see here coming off uh, as well. The diaphragm, it's not well shown here because we've pulled the stomach up, but the diaphragm would be kind of in this region here. And so you have the celiac trunk, and it gives off its three branches. Again, left gastric artery, splenic artery, and common hepatic. So you have the common hepatic coming here. Common hepatic gives off that proper hepatic, which is going to go to the liver. Then you also have the gastroduodenal artery, which you can see really nicely here comes and travels posterior to the duodenum and posterior to the pylorus, and then eventually coming out here and giving rise to that right gastroploic artery, which then comes around here and gives a nice rich blood supply to the greater curvature. Then you have the left gastric artery, which you can see here as well, and comes up and supplies this lesser curvature here. 
Then you have the splenic artery, which you can see really nicely. The splenic artery has a uh, pretty torturous course throughout the uh, abdomen here. So you can see it comes along here, and then it gives off a couple branches, gives off that left gastroploic artery, which comes along here, and then anastomosis with the right gastroploic artery. Then it also gives off the short gastric arteries, which supply also portion of the greater curvature, kind of this more uh, superior portion or upper portion of the greater curvature, as you can see. Then it makes its way and supplies uh, the spleen. So the splenic artery is not really too at risk of getting hit by gastric ulcers, because you got to remember this, this stomach is flipped up unless it's on the posterior wall. If there's, a, if there's an ulcer on the posterior wall, it can erode through and affect the splenic artery potentially, but it's just not as common. The most common, uh, definitely with a lesser curvature, is the gastric artery. I suppose if you had one out on the greater curvature here, it could affect one of these gastroploic arteries for sure. Uh, and then the last thing here I'll point out is that for duodenal ulcers, because remember you can have ulcers in the duodenum, not just in the stomach. If you have those, those are actually most likely to affect this gastroduodenal artery. And you can see it travels just posterior to the duodenum here. So that's the, that artery is most likely to be eroded into if you have a, a duodenal ulcer. So if we come back to the question, again, which of the following blood vessels is the most likely source of this patient's hemorrhage with a gastric ulcer on the lesser curvature? We have answered this question, but let's go through the answer choices for completeness sake. Esophageal varices. So these actually, these aren't even arterial. They are dilated submucosal esophageal veins secondary to portal hypertension in patients with cirrhosis and or liver failure. There's no mention of this patient having cirrhosis or liver failure. There's no mention of portal hypertension. Definitely if someone's coming in with hematemesis and they're unstable, uh, and especially if the history of liver disease, you definitely want to be con considering esophageal uh, varices because that's something that needs to be dealt with emergently. But if they don't have any history of it, you might want to look for other causes such as, you know, a bleeding ulcer or some other type of GI bleed. The common hepatic artery, just because of its course, it's rarely eroded by gastric ulcers, especially those along the lesser curvature, um, because it, again, it's coursing towards the liver. The gastroduodenal artery is the most common artery eroded by duodenal ulcers. Um, and like we showed you, it has that course right behind the duodenum. The splenic artery is rarely eroded by gastric ulcers on the lesser curvature. It's most likely, it's more likely to be eroded by ulcers on the posterior wall. And even in those cases, uh, those types of, that scenario is actually fairly rare. And then the left gastric artery is the most common artery eroded by gastric ulcers that are on the lesser curvature. Personally, I'm interested in this because it's a cool interventional radiology procedure where you'd actually go in and embolize uh, the left gastric artery to prevent it from bleeding any further. Um, so that's kind of a minimally invasive, uh, cool way to treat these, these type of bleeds. Again, this is a patient with a lesser curvature gastric ulcer that uh, has gotten worse due to medication noncompliance and excessive use of NSAIDs that has eroded through the gastric wall and into the left gastric artery, causing a acute hemorrhage. All right, that's all I have for you this time. Be sure to check out all the DaVinci Cases videos available on our YouTube channel and our website, dviacademy.com. The PDF notes for every DaVinci Cases is also available on our website. Also be sure to check out our podcast, The DaVinci Hour, where we interview attendings and residents across medicine to learn more about their experiences, their specialties, and to get their insights on navigating a career in medicine. You can find the DaVinci Hour podcast on our website or any platform where podcasts are found. Lastly, you can find all of our video courses and corresponding outline format books on our website. Don't forget to use the discount code DC20 for 20% off.